1: Angela Daniels, The Booty Family, and Christina Summers. We couldn't do it without our patrons. If you'd like to become a supporter and help us make more women's history, check out our website at what'shernamedpodcast.com and click donate. Hi Katie! Hi Olivia! Today, we have an exciting tale... Of love at first sight. Ooh. Transatlantic travel. Okay. Brushes with celebrity. Mmm. Girl power. Yay! And manufacturing innovation in a brand new country. Mmm. Based on those ingredients, allow me to guess the time period. Mmm. Because transatlantic travel was a big deal in your introduction, I'm guessing it's not. <laughs> A seven-hour plane ride. And so, I'm going to guess it's a ship. And so, I'm going to guess... Okay, mechanical, innovation, transatlantic, travel... mm, Are we in the Industrial Revolution or are we in, like, the 1920s? Industrial Revolution! No! 1920s! No! 1900! Way before that! (laughs) Oh, really? Brand new country! Oh, like like 1776 brand new country indeed whoa that's cool we are going to 1784. wow yeah that is not the time period you think of when you think about manufacturing it is not it was the beginning of the industrial revolution okay i'm olivia mickle and i'm katie nelson and this is what's her name fascinating women you've never heard of So, our story begins in Cookstown, Northern Ireland. Our heroine was born in 1754. Her name was Mary Patterson. And to learn more about her, I talked to Gloria Feruzan in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
0: My name is Gloria Feruzan. I work for William Peduto, the mayor of the city of Pittsburgh. And during the course of my work, I assist with many special events, one of them being the bicentennial of our city. And whilst doing a cram course on Pittsburgh history, I found only stories of man after man after man and uh, would come across little breadcrumbs of stories about women and put them uh, in a little scrapbook and looked into them more. And that's what led me to Mary Pattinson Irwin.
1: She was the daughter of a military doctor with the British Army. At 30 years old, she was engaged to another army doctor. Oh, 30. Surprising. Yes. Unusual Mm -hmm. to not be married by 30. Right. And then to get married when you're 30. But she is seemingly happily engaged to an army doctor. Okay. They are stalwart Presbyterians, as all good Scots-Irish were at this time. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't know the details, but they had a row, and... Instead of staying home with her fiancé,
0: She uh, decided to accompany her parents to the first ever, very deluxe St. Patrick's Day ball in Dublin and set off with them and left the fiancé behind. I think that was one of the most fateful decisions that a person could have ever made, knowing what came afterwards. Hmm.
1: This is not like an evening out kind of undertaking. From Cookstown to Dublin is 110 miles. Oh. Now, in the 1700s, traveling by carriage, this is a six-day trip yeah. each way.
0: The uh, St. Patrick's Day Gala was the uh, first ever. So the governor of Ireland, he wanted to make it spectacular, and he did. They had beautiful chandeliers throughout the great ballroom that were all glittering and lighting up that space. And Mary is a woman from a small town, and so this must have just been overcoming her with splendor and, and delight.
1: And across the ballroom, <gasps> in true Hallmark Christmas movie fashion, yes, Mary Pattison locked eyes with John Irwin. <gasps> oh. A fellow Scots-Irishman who has been fighting alongside George Washington (gasps) in the Revolutionary War against the British Army. Are you kidding? Has made himself a war hero. And he was a war hero. He had fought at Yorktown, which as every good Hamilton listener knows, was the pivotal battle in the Revolutionary War. But before that, he had also been a member of a small guerrilla-style force that had been harassing British troops, cutting supply lines, stealing contraband. (gasps) (laughs) But when British forces got wind of their location in 1777, they executed a sneak attack on the sleeping American troops. And John Irwin almost didn't survive it. He was bayoneted 20 times.
0: And the next morning, when the Revolutionary soldiers came back out on the field to see if anybody might have survived, John was breathing and moving a little bit. So they took him to George Washington's field hospital and revived him.
1: So, at this point, his glory is undisputed. And he's the center of attention at this ball. The local boy made good. Come home a hero.
0: She encounters him there surrounded by admirers. They all wanted to hear about George Washington and the marvelous, brave, fighting troops of George Washington.
1: So there's no firsthand record of this meeting, but it must have been pretty dramatic because as the family lore has it... Mm -hmm. By the time the St. Patrick's Gala weekend was over, Mary and John were married. Oh. And Mary. Within weeks, Mary had run off back to America with John Irwin on the next ship home. I love
0: it. This is so un- unlike what people did in those days. They were really dominated by these social laws you know social rules and regs that uh to break out like this and find each other and boom we're getting married and we're leaving we're going four thousand miles away over this ocean blue
1: (laughs) breaking off your marriage setting out for a new country you are leaving everyone you've ever known behind and you are probably never going to see them again but john he believes in the cause and he probably said things like Help me build liberty in a new world, Mary. (laughs) And she said, (laughs) yes, that is my destiny. That's how it happened. I'm sure it was exactly like that. Yeah. Wow, what an opportunity in a world when, if you're 30 and unmarried, you're just an old maid who's going to be a companion for your mom your whole life. You know? Yeah, you have very few options. Yeah. Yeah. And then she gets to go and be Outlander. (laughs) <laughs> she must have been quite something herself too because john Irwin is the center of attention he is showered with, mm. with uh, attractive women cool and he chooses her yes so something she's smart she's brave she's not gonna settle well and he is an unusual and unconventional person himself <laughs> A couple of years before the battle where he is bayoneted 20 times, John Irwin was with a regiment fighting in Canada, and he was severely injured there as well.
0: He went up to Quebec with Matt Anthony Wayne, (laughs) he's another story unto himself, but uh, John was severely wounded in Quebec, also was nursed to health by nuns in a convent, convents were often hospitals in those days. Hmm. And uh, he fell in love with the nun who took care of him.
1: Oh. She fell in love with him too. Left her convent. And they married. This is years before he meets Mary Patterson, obviously. (laughs) They married in Quebec, moved to Fort Ticonderoga, and she tragically died very quickly from typhus. No. So, oh, this is... John is such a romantic soul. So this is his first marriage yeah. it tells us a lot about him that this is a fellow presbyterian mm-hmm. who is happy to marry a french nun yeah. <laughs> yeah and it tells us about mary that mary knows this and is fine with it mm-hmm. these are very unusual actions mm-hmm. for a scottish presbyterian 30 year old daughter of an army doctor she's ready for a new life she is she and boy does she get one They set out for the brand new country of the United States of
0: America. Mm.
1: Some fairly big things were happening in their soon-to-be-home of the United States as well. The Revolutionary War has just ended.
0: They landed in Philadelphia, spent a year or two searching for a place to uh, put down their roots, and the federal government at the time gave veterans of the Revolutionary War land. They had no money to give them. So they said, okay, in western Pennsylvania, we have all this land. You're going to get big chunks of land.
1: And so they make their way to the wilds of this new frontier town called Pittsburgh. Ah! Pittsburgh, way out there. Pittsburgh, the edge of civilization. Indeed. There they settle. They're living off of John's war pension. But they quickly realized that is not going to be enough. And as soon as they arrived in Pittsburgh, Mary Irwin looked around and realized...
0: Pittsburgh has three rivers. And as soon as Mary got here and saw these three rivers, she looked at the rivers and said, John, there are going to be a heck of a lot of boats coming in and out of Pittsburgh. And she was right.
1: Mary Pattison says, This town is going to be very important. This is an important spot where all of these trade routes can converge. Hmm. You have access to the ocean, you have access to the Great Lakes, and anywhere you have ships, you need rope. Ah! <laughs> and so they launched the first rope walk, rope manufacturers, in the city of Pittsburgh. On the official launch documents for this company, it is called John Irwin and Wife. Yeah, wife. I've never heard of a company that said wife. Oh, It's always son. That she is... I mean, it's frustrating that she's just wife. wife. Yeah. But that she's but on it's... it at all is astonishing. Good And point. it's a nod to she's actively involved in this. Yeah. This is You're her right. business, not just his. Wow. And actually, from what we know about John at this point, this really is her business. He... Has been so severely injured in the war that he is chronically ill. The letters and diaries of both of them at this time show really this is her show. She mm-hmm. is running this business. Huh. So, all right, they're manufacturing rope. That's cool, I guess. I had not thought through rope. Yeah. What rope meant mm-hmm. for society, especially at this point. Mm-hmm what goes into making it, how badly yeah. you need it, how important it is. Yeah. Transportation will not occur without rope. Yeah. And if it's not strong and true, Exactly. People die. And yeah. And if, if the rope holding your mainsail snaps yeah. during a storm, yeah, your whole ship is going down. Yeah. If you don't have good, strong rope, really, society cannot function mm-hmm. without this. One of my favorite tourist attractions I ever visited in England is in the center of England. I was drawn there because it's called the Devil's Arse. (laughs) And it's uh, supposed to be the gateway to the River Styx, which takes you straight to hell. Right. And in the 1700s, a family set up shop there in the cave in the Devil's Arse and became rope manufacturers. (laughs) So when we visited, somebody did a demonstration on rope making and told us all about it. And yeah, my mind was blown. I was like, rope! Rope is amazing! I never yeah. thought about rope before. So I have a serious appreciation for what it takes and how stinky it is. Yeah. And how dangerous it is. Yeah. Like, I've taken my kids to Colonial Williamsburg or the mm, the yeah. places where, you know, you hold the things. And, and yeah. it's very fun. And that is the process in miniature. But yeah. it hadn't occurred to me... That you have to make rope in a straight line, Mm-hmm. and your rope can only be as long as your straight line is. Yeah, the standard rope at this point is a thousand feet long. Mm. You need a thousand feet of warehouse mm. space to build this, or a cave, I guess. Maybe or that's a cave. why the yeah. cave was so. <laughs> yeah, indie. I'm fascinated by how they did that, <laughs> and so. I'm just going to walk us through the process of how you make a rope because I found this completely fascinating and I had no idea that you did this. So it's called a rope walk because you need people literally walking back and forth or actually running back and forth Mm -hmm. as the rope is twisted the whole time, making sure that the tension is even. What are they making them out of? Mary Irwin's rope walk is making ropes primarily out of hemp that are grown in the surrounding Pennsylvania area. In England, sometimes it's flax, but in the U.S., it's hemp. And that's still one of the best things to make rope out of. She is ordering, she's dealing with farmers, she's buying all of the raw materials, she's finding warehouse space to store them, sorting, cleaning, spinning, all Mm. on-site... She's running safety protocols because this is an intensely dangerous, you know, a warehouse full of hemp will go up very quickly. Yeah. Then you you combine all of these long strands. You have all of the pieces of string or smaller ropes for a thousand feet long. Mm-hmm. And you have one end that is twisting slowly. At the other end, you have someone who has to walk in a perfectly straight line backwards As the rope gets tighter, it shortens. And they're holding the thing, Mm -hmm. keeping the tension strong.
0: And twist it and twist it and twist it. So you need people running in between the two ends with uh, spools or sort of like fingers that go between them so that they don't get all tangled up, so that they twist properly.
1: To make sure that the tension stays perfectly even from end to end and it never Mm. twists on itself. This is grueling hard terrible labor and aside Mm. from all of that if you are making waterproof rope which the Irwin rope walk was very famous for you also have pits of hot tar open fires it is so dangerous and hot and miserable and that a woman is running all of this wow uh, and doing so spectacularly effectively is amazing at any time but especially at this point Yeah. Just the foresight that it takes to move into a new town, say, look, Mm -hmm. rivers, rivers, boats, rope. Let's learn how to make rope. She has no experience (laughs) making rope. How does she do this? (sighs) It's the enlightenment. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, (laughs) she would have been educated. Yeah. So maybe she really is just getting books and learning how to run a rope walk. The trick to being educated is you learn how to learn what you don't know. Yeah, that's awesome. So we actually have some video from uh, there is one still functioning traditional rope walk still in the world that still Ah. makes rope in this way. And it is at Chatham Docks in England. And we have some great video showing this whole process because, I I mean, it's hard to describe, but watching it is fascinating. And they are still making them by hand in the Uh. same way that they did 300 years ago. They do now use bicycles to run back and forth instead of running so that they can Uh. be faster as they are going back and forth along the rope walk. They're on bicycles. Wow. But uh, and these ropes are used for historic sailing ships, things like that. Oh, Cool. Just to give us an idea of how much rope is needed in 18th century America, a standard rope is a thousand feet long. Okay. The average sailing ship requires 31 miles of rope. Whoa. 31 miles of rope is 163,000 feet. Wow. They're making so much rope. It is mind blowing. Wow. Well, no wonder it's lucrative. Yes. (laughs) And exhausting. They're running, Mm. you know, 24 hours a day to try to keep up with some of this demand.
0: It was 1790. It was just a a little over a decade after the Revolutionary War. This woman who came from Northern Ireland, knew not a soul here. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to deal with men who are in commerce. I'm going to deal with men who are in the military men who are in construction. In other words, she's dealing with men. And is the only woman, and she just takes it on. And John died. His health gave out, and uh, he leaves her with this relatively new business. Four kids under the age of 12, and 4,000 miles away from home. Almost immediately, she renamed the business. John, her husband, had named it John Irwin and Wife. She re-registers it as Mary Irwin and son.
1: Cool. Now, son is 12 years old and not involved in any way. But you have Uh, to have a man on the company charter. Okay. And if it's going to be Mary Irwin, there has to be (laughs) some male somewhere. But I just, I love the ownership. Yeah. This is mine. Yeah, and the pretty defiant acknowledgement of, I, a woman, Mm -hmm. run Mm -hmm. this company, and you're going to have to deal with me. Because she was so successful, we can see that she is at least conforming enough that people are willing to work with her, that she's not Mm. an outcast. She's doing spectacularly well. But she's also not hiding what she's doing. She's not Mm -hmm. working behind a front of a man. She is... Mary Irwin. Cool. And the company continues to grow. They do have some really awful, tragic losses from fires. Because, again, as we said, barrels of tar open flames. warehouses mm. Warehouses full of hemp. And they lose two full rope walks that burn to the ground. Ugh. But ultimately the operation grows and grows, and three times they have to move to a larger location. Wow. Because they're in such demand that they need bigger premises.
0: Lucky to work within blocks of her three rope walks. She kept moving from one part of downtown to another where there were ever longer stretches.
1: Now, this is another aspect of rope is amazing that I'd never thought of, and rope touching all points of history. We can't know for sure, but Pittsburgh is where Lewis and Clark's expedition left from. Ooh. We know they
0: outfitted in Pittsburgh. Mary Patterson Irwin is the only rope maker listed in the business directory of Pittsburgh at that time.
1: Ha! Huh. It's almost certain that Mary Irwin made the rope for the Lewis and Clark expedition. uh uh-huh.
0: Rope was so important that one of the guys who went on the Lewis and Clark expedition, he kept a diary, and one of the lines I'll never forget that I read was, this expedition was held together by rope. And that just, that really got me, because I thought, Mary, you made history, lady.
1: Ah, uh, That's awesome. She also, if people have heard of Commodore Perry. Yeah. And the... The war in Lake Erie? In 1813, the British Royal Navy starts impinging on American territory and has taken Detroit. Oh, outrageous. The British seize control of Lake Erie and there's this major battle. And Commodore Perry came to Mary Irwin and said, I would like you to please outfit my navy. For this upcoming battle, and she agreed, and they did a rush job for all of this rope for all of these ships. And wow. Commodore Perry's warships set off for Lake Erie and defeat the British. Wow. Liberate Detroit <laughs> Yay. and push the British back to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> this was a chapter of American history that I never heard about. Yes. Mary Irwin's Rope, Saving the Fantastic. Day. Uh, it also outfitted the New Orleans, which was the first steamboat to travel from Pittsburgh all the way to New Orleans by river. <gasps> this brand new idea that you could bring things up the Mississippi River. Yeah that no one had really done this before. This was a pleasure cruise first Mm. and would soon become exactly what she predicted, that all of this trade is coming up and down these rivers and Pittsburgh Mm. becomes the center. And of course, Pittsburgh does become the center of manufacturing innovation that in the Industrial Revolution, when all of these things start to happen, you have Andrew Carnegie, the Mm -hmm. steel industry Henry Heinz, mm. you know Heinz ketchup. But fun fact: Henry Heinz's first company was bottling his mother's horseradish. Oh, that was less successful than ketchup, so he moved on. <laughs> but we know these men's names; these pioneers yeah. of industry in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. And none of us have heard of Mary Irwin. Mm-hmm. And yet her impact on the city, her impact on the economy, in this is every bit as big as theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, Have we not heard of her because she didn't become a evil megalomaniac and crush all her competition and make millions and millions of dollars and then feel guilty in the end and donate it to try to help humanity? She did. Well, she didn't, I guess, become an evil megalomaniac, but she was a big philanthropic (laughs) force in the city. Was she like a millionaire? Yeah. She she catapulted Mm -hmm. her family into the 1%. They are were oh and gosh. are one of the premier families of Pittsburgh. And by the time we hit Whoa. Gilded Age America, they are among the elite. They are marrying the Perrys and the Carnegies and the Hineses. They are oh my gosh in exactly the same stratum ah. of society as these men. And yet ah. we've never heard of her.
0: That kind of frosts my chops that we have all these women. And it's not just Pittsburgh, it's everywhere that we don't know. And so it's our job to uncover them.
1: And it's not just us. Her family did not know her story. Where'd they think the money came from? They know all about John Irwin and his vast rope-making empire and his foresight in noticing the importance of Pittsburgh as the site of all of these rivers and starting a rope walk and manufacturing rope and creating this empire. Mm. John Irwin and Mary Irwin's son get all of the credit for this even within the family and they do not even know her name until Gloria Forzan did this research and brought it to the family and said look what she did look at who she was I had no idea why is it still painful it it hurts every time yeah (laughs) Uh.
0: so I thought well at least uh, if I do nothing else I'm going to leave these families, hopefully, with the tale to share.
1: Yes! I'm going to put her in my American history class next semester. So, this is something that I have only recently realized is unusual, maybe, in our family. We grew up with a mother who deeply prizes family history, genealogy, mm-hmm. all of this information. So, what are some mm-hmm. stories from our ancestors that you remember that we learned growing up Sarah Elizabeth Conover could dance with a teacup on her head. Hmm. Um, feisty Fanny Gibbs put on her husband's uniform and dressed like a ghost. Um, Aunt Bertha ran a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> Aunt Bertha ran the best brothel. <laughs> All of our stories are women. Hmm. Yeah. I can tell you the names of our male ancestors. Yeah, good point. I have no stories Yeah. about <laughs> them. And I think I just assumed that that's how these kind of things usually go, that, that it is women who are doing the telling, and so it's oh, women's yeah. stories that are getting passed on. And because I follow a lot of professional genealogists on Twitter somehow, <laughs> okay, I'm realizing more and more that that is really unusual, that genealogy, like history, mm. follows male lines, that yeah. people know their male ancestor stories, and the women are disappeared. Yeah. I'm so grateful that that's not true Mm -hmm. with us. And I started wondering this morning if growing up, understanding that women's stories matter, maybe that primed us for creating this podcast. Ah. That we come at it with this perspective that, of course, the stories of women from history are as important. Mm. Those are the ones we know (laughs) from our history. We know the details of their lives that bring them alive. Yeah. And how important it was to keep those alive in oral history because those stories aren't written down by the men doing the official Mm -hmm. record keeping. Right. Yeah. So you have to look for the subtlest of clues like the original business being called and wife that those kinds of clues can speak volumes. Yeah. Because they didn't write down the volumes. Yeah, It's people like Gloria that are doing this work on local levels, finding these women whose stories have been literally buried Mm -hmm. and bringing them back out and saying, hey, wait, we should be talking about her as much as we're talking about Carnegie. She built this city as much as Heinz did. And unfortunately, that same pattern of erasure and minimization continues in her grave. Ah...
0: She's buried, in fact, very near my home in Allegheny Cemetery. And I wanted to see her grave. So I went there last December, a year ago, and I could not find it. I found the Irwin, whatever real estate they call it, whatever they call it in the cemetery. (laughs) And I saw John has a big slab and all these other Irwins. And I knew Mary's was in the ground. I could not find it.
1: So she went to the Historical Society and said, Can you help me find this grave? They eventually did find it. And she does have a marker. Don't tell me. It says wife. It doesn't say wife. It's the size of a brick. And it says Mary. What? That's it. Mary.
0: And I said, well, that does it.
1: So to make this right, or as a tiny step toward making that right, this March, there will be an event at the cemetery.
0: I'm doing a very low-key, non-religious event. To just remember Mary and recognize her and her contribution to this city. I'm going to give little pieces of rope for people to tie on their fingers to remember Mary, because when I was young that's what we used to do, put Uh. string on our finger.
1: Recognizing her legacy. Fantastic. And bringing attention to her stories. So anybody in the Pittsburgh area in March will have a link to this on our website. You absolutely should go. It's open to the public free event. And I hope eventually that her family will recognize that she deserves much more than a brick that says mary yes yeah. give her a statue in the center of town a statue made of rope yeah. someone oh. needs to make a... <laughs> someone should create a work of art that is rope. of rope yes in mary's honor mm, what's it called macrame oh Mac- a macrame <laughs> mary yeah rope artists listening please create a macrame mary please and macrame mary send us a picture (laughs) and keep her legacy alive you know as rope bound together the lewis and clark expedition mary patterson irwin bound pittsburgh together yes and america (laughs) Huge thanks to Gloria Feruzan. If you'd like to learn more about Mary Pattison Irwin, or find more details about the memorial ceremony happening next March, visit our website at whatsernamepodcast.com. We have links to all of the information that you need there. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Music for this episode was provided by Katie Davis Henderson, Killarney, Andy Reiner, and John Souza, and Half Pelican. We're always so grateful for our generous musical partners. Find more about their work at our website. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. Our intern is Isabella Martinez. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle.
0: Macrame Mary.